Hello, friends. I want to welcome you to episode 700 of the Juice Box podcast. That is more talking than even I thought I could do. On today's show, I'll be speaking with Chad. He is the father of a child with type 1 diabetes. He's also an orthopedic surgeon. It's completely possible that this is the longest episode that I've ever published. I'm not sure. I probably should have looked into it before I recorded this. But anyway, it feels like it's the longest one. I'm getting into that uh, into that territory. Like, You think we could do a three-hour podcast maybe one day? We'll see. While you're listening, don't forget to take breaks so you can rest. I'm just kidding. Don't forget uh, while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. You know, if you're a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes, or is the caregiver of someone with type 1, in just a few minutes you could help people with type 1 by taking a short survey at t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. You can do it right there from your sofa. It will not take long. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. Today's extravaganza is also brought to you by Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod 5. You may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Dash and so much more that I have yet to tell you about. You'll find out, of course, at omnipod.com forward slash juicebox or by listening to the ad later in the episode. Uh, My name is Chad Zucker. I am a board-certified orthopedic surgeon in Baltimore, and I uh, specialize in sports medicine. Um, And for surgical purposes, that means I do a lot of knee and shoulder arthroscopy. So think of ACL reconstructions, meniscus surgery, rotator cuff surgery. Um, And in my non-surgical professional world, I see a lot of, of everything. So treating all manner of orthopedic injuries from broken bones to strains and sprains of joints and muscles, um, knees, shoulders, some backs, ankles, elbows, hands and fingers, pretty much. If you can jam it, sprain it, tear it, break it, I can at least get you started. And if it's a little bit out of my typical um, expertise for treatment, I work in a larger practice that has several specialists that love the non-knees and non-shoulders that I like to treat. Hmm. All right. Well, here's the real secret. I have a question about Arden's wrist. It's the only reason I let you on the show. Sure. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. <laughs> you, you, you just, you're treating me like everybody else I know, Scott. Don't worry. Oh, Chad. Hey, it's so <laughs> weird to see you at the grocery store. How are you? The kids are good. They are. My knee is how often, how, how many times a week? It's, you know, it's funny. So it's, it's three, four times a week easy. And I'll usually on a weekend, you'll collect a few texts, a few messages and, Monday morning, I email my secretary. I say, hey, you know, here's so-and-so, friend, can we get him in to see me today? Such and such needs an x-ray. 
And if Monday morning comes and I'm not sending that email, I start to wonder, like, am I losing my touch here? Like, like nobody reached out to me in the last two days. <laughs> I don't have my friend. So uh, it's interesting you bring this up because I don't know if you've ever heard Adam on the show. Uh, he's a pediatrician, but he's also a very good friend of mine. And mm -hmm. when I have questions about my kids, I I shudder to say I I text him. And as I'm doing it, I'm horrified with myself. You, you know what I mean? Like, because I know he's a person and he has a life. And, sure. You, you know, and you're like, hey, just real quick, is there a stomach bug going around right now? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, you got to get, if you, especially in a town like we call it small tomorrow because a lot of us are born here, raised here, and never leave. And if you are not comfortable with that idea that you're just going to be intermingled with one degree of separation for the rest of your professional career, then you can't, you got to leave. You, you can't should, practice you here. Shouldn't be there. Um, and honestly, I, don't, I really don't mind. I think um, very few people are have a problem with kind of boundaries or when they should text or call and instead of like, you know, if you'd sent me that message two hours ago during the office day, I could have taken care of this easy. But now you're sending it to me at nine o'clock at night when I'll help you with it. But I really there's not much I can do, you know remotely right now yeah i have to tell you um, that i love there's is there's nothing not to love about um the office calling you to schedule an appointment instead of you having to call the office to schedule me dr nadelman said that i should call you and get your son and like and you it feels like oh what a relief you, you know <laughs> well it's you know for me i get a text i say no problem you know let me have someone call you i've i cut and paste it to the email and it's 10 seconds of my effort and then they get a, a call directly and then they feel like they're getting the VIP treatment. So, yeah. you know, why not? It's, it's good for business. It's good for patient care. It, it helps direct where people need to get to quicker. So gotcha. it's really, it, it's, it's not as much a bother as you think. And usually if it's somebody I'm close to, there's a handful of friends that I consider really good friends. Um, they never take advantage of it and they know that it doesn't matter. They could text me two in the morning. I'm never going to get upset, but there's, you know, not the 98% that could probably use a little bit of uh, thought before they, um, you know, send a non-urgent text at like 10 o'clock at night when there's not much we can do about it. And I'm an orthopod, you know, we're not dealing with life and death. So Chad, do you know that happens to me in a different way? I, I believe it yeah. knowing what you do. Um, and I just gotta, I gotta say, it's amazing what you've created here. Oh, thank you. And I, I can tell you as a, you know, I look at your podcast and the Facebook group and just the way that you are willing to give up your time and look at people's curves and say, hey, talk to me about your basils. And it still feels like it's not a medical professional. It's not a somebody running a business. It still feels like you're a dad who, you know, happens to know a little bit more about this than the newbie in the club. And you just want to help. And I just, uh, you know, as a doctor, I appreciate it. As a dad, I appreciate it. Um, and I, I can't uh, get through an interview with you and not give you some major credit for what you've created here. And, and I imagine the trade-off is you get these, you know, urgent, quote unquote, uh, messages about a blood sugar, about a Dexcom curve. Like, what do I do with this? I don't mind the messages. It's when they come at two thirty in the morning, and right. they're sent in that style of like one line, one question, new text, next question. And you yeah, know, you, it's you know it comes through the messenger, and it's like badoom, badoom. My wife's like, "What is that?" I'm like, "A lady in the Philippines doesn't understand her blood sugar." I'm like, "I, I guess she didn't understand the time zones either." And you know, uh, but that's pretty much it. Uh, although while we were getting ready this morning, and you were 
uh, getting your microphone together, I was talking to a woman named Julia in Canada about her kid's blood sugar through a text at the same time. Um, it, but but yeah, I don't mind. It's funny. I don't mind, but there's a moment where it gets overwhelming and I just can't answer. And then that actually feels um, that 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 gives me a guilty feeling. Like if, like to leave something unanswered makes me feel uh, it's not a good feeling. Let's just say um, I, I I relate to that very well. Yeah, yeah. Well, at the end of this episode, I'm going to ask you a question about each of my children, and I'm going to get some I'm going to get some free advice from you. What do you think? <laughs> but I, I am you. You are on the spot. You you get bumped right up to the VIP list, and you can always um, whether it's for you, your kids, any orthopedic questions, you you get the special VIP treatment. All right. Well, we'll save that to the end. Uh, what made you want to come on the show? So I was floating through the Facebook group one night and um, you put a post. I think I just good timing and you had put up this post saying I'm looking for some medical folks in different specialties and trying to put together a series of episodes that tie in where type one, you know, spills into things that aren't just directly endocrine related. And as a as a super fan of the show, my wife and I are just, you know, huge fans of what you're doing. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like I've been trying to find an angle where I could be useful and helpful to get on Juicebox. Here it is. Oh, that's cool. And and I think I, as soon as you posted that message, I had put together an email within five, 10 minutes, threw my CV in there and fired it off. And I was surprised at how quickly you responded that, you know, oh, this sounds great. Yeah. Because, I'll send you a link and we'll schedule. I was like, wow, that was that was almost too easy. Yeah. Well, Chad, it's because you sent an email that was like you were trying to get a job with me. So I was <laughs> <laughs> this guy really wants to be on the podcast. See, I um whether it's wanting to be on the podcast or wanting to take care of diabetes, I find um desire to be really important. Yeah. You, you, you know, so uh, I end up telling people when I talk to them a lot, you can tell that they're going to be okay one day with diabetes because they want to be. And I know that's like a, it's a weird thing to parse out because you could just sit there and think, you know, I really want this to go well, but there's a difference between just wanting it to go well and being willing to put in effort in places where you have no comfort um, and to hear information that you have no relation to and to force yourself like you're in school to sit down and make sense of it and to give it time. Um, you know, maybe not completely connected to that idea, but one of the one of the things I hear back from people so much that breaks my heart in kind of two different ways is I know the answers are in the podcast. I don't have time to listen to the podcast. And, right. and it makes me feel like, well, you don't have time not to listen to the podcast because the reason you feel like you don't have time right now is because you're overwhelmed partially, you know, partially because you're overwhelmed by diabetes. Like what if we just carved out time, ignored some other things, learned more about how insulin worked, made your life easier and see if that wouldn't free up some of your, your headspace, you know? Um, but it's a weird leap for people to make when they're like, I got three kids. Like, when am I going to listen to a podcast? I was like, well, I don't know. Figure, funny, you know. figure it out. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that, that you mentioned that. Cause so my wife and I were, you know, we're, we're coming up to the morning of the interview and I said, you know, let's just get our, like, I want to get all the facts straight. I'm thinking, like, how did we hear about the podcast? And we're, we're talking it out. And I think literally, so when, when our son was diagnosed, we were in the hospital in that initial admission. And, you know, she was sifting through 
everything she could find online. And I think she came across the maybe some old posts from Arden's Day. And she connected that to the podcast. And she's not a podcast person, but she knows I am. And so like probably within two days of diagnosis, she's telling me about this juice box podcast and me being a big dummy and not listening because I'm so sort of focused in on trying to figure out diabetes. Um, Cause as a doctor, we're not really trained to treat diabetes, believe it or not that I'm saying, yeah, it sounds interesting. I don't know, like great. And just kept putting it in the back of my head until maybe, you know, three, four or five months later, I listened to some episodes. I'm like, wow, this is perfect. This is like exactly what anybody needs explained in very direct and easy to understand terms and if you pay attention to the pro tips and if you start digging in on some of the episodes that are more technical um you'll get it and you got to practice and it takes time but um you know she was listening from probably the first night of diagnosis figuring out how to use she didn't even know how to use a podcast app and she's already got it figured out within 24 hours and and i'm just sort of like I got this, I got this, and I don't got this until I started to listen and really, you know, put the effort in to learn it because it's like any other skill. You can, you know, you can't really perfect diabetes, but you can get better at it if you practice. Well, there's also, a, a, there's quite a leap to make in your head too. I mean, all this has just happened to your child. It's happening to you in a different way. And I mean, what, you're supposed to expect a podcast is going to help you? Like, I mean, really, when you think of right. podcasts, you think a true crime uh comedy, you know, actors talking to their friends. It's not like you're like, oh yeah, that must be where the secret to my problem is. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, sometimes if you pay attention and if you say, wow, look at how many people are getting really good uh, results. It's not just they love it because it's relatable. They're, they're actually changing their outcomes. Um, there's a value here. And that's why, you know, I, uh, this your podcast in particular is one that stands out as being entertaining and it's poignant at times. And sometimes you just want to listen to someone's story because then you don't feel like you're the only one. And then you tune into you and Jenny and you're like, Oh, so fat and protein do have an effect. And I actually could maybe try to quantify that if I start looking at the data right in front of my face from the Dexcom and from what I know in terms of the nutritional content of whatever they're eating and, you know, playing around with some of these things like the Warsaw method and some of the other trips, ticks that uh, tips and techniques that, that we can do. So yeah. no, I, I agree. It's um, I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of the podcast and I think it's a great blend of a lot of different things. And uh, I, I'm happy when anybody finds something in it that that's valuable to them. I think the whole thing is valuable. Like I, I genuinely believe if you just listen to this show, like just, either started now and, you know, listened forward or went back and dug through the pro tips and that kind of stuff and then continued to listen. Or some people might bless them, go back to the beginning and just listen straight through. I think it's an A1C in the fives. I think it, it's, I, it, yeah, everything you need is there. The toolbox is right there. You just got to get familiar with all the tools in it and start using them. Yeah, no kidding. All right. Uh, well, how old, uh, uh, I'm sorry, were you saying was your son or daughter or? Uh, so it's, it's my son. So, you know, the, the origin story of, uh, so our son and, and so Zach is, um, he just turned 12. He's literally not even a week at the age of 12 right now. Um, seven years old and first grade, oddly I, enough, as you know, these, guess, was he on a school trip to a science lab and he was bitten by a radioactive packet of sugar? Is that what happened? He wishes, he wishes, <laughs> I wish, um, those origin stories are more fun. Yeah. 
So, so, but there's, you know, everybody has their little quirks to their story. So we were in first grade and we had moved schools completely, no reason related to type one to start first grade. His, um, within a week or two, he made a, a good new friend who turns out that his friend has type one. The teacher has type one. And we put together an assembly and they're teaching the whole school about type one diabetes and how it's not contagious and what a Dexcom does. And two weeks after the assembly, we're at the movies. And for anyone who doesn't know our son, he is like, he's the, he's the kid that won't share anything because he doesn't want to like, you know, your mouth to touch his water. You know, we're not sharing snacks. We're mm-hmm. barely sharing popcorn. So we smuggle in our water bottles um, and he finishes his water. He finishes my water. He, he finishes my wife's water. And he actually started drinking his sister's water. Um, and he said to us, I think I have type one you know, just matter of factly, just because it was fresh in his mind and I'm completely blowing this off. Like, you know, you just had this assembly, like, you know, I don't think so. Um, And my wife was like, you know, had much better intuition and said, well, you know, this was Sunday night. So Monday morning, we call the pediatrician. She makes an appointment. Let's just go see. We love our pediatrician. He's, He's great. Why not go see the doc and see? And so Tuesday morning, they're at the pediatrician. I'm at work, and I get a call from him, from the from the pediatrician, saying, "Zachary has diabetes." Hmm. Three words, and like in that moment, it's it's like the time stands still and stops for a second, and you you get that gut punch where you've like, you know, no clue what's up and down, and I think within. It seemed like 10 minutes, but it was probably three seconds. I replied back, okay, what do we do next? Mm-hmm. And flipping like, you know, into my surgeon mode, here's a problem. How do we fix it? What's torn? How do we fix it? What's broken? How do we fix it? And, um, and so he said, you know, you know, I'm going to send you, I'm going to send him to the hospital, to this hospital. And, and then, you know, my wife called me and, it's all a blur and we go to the hospital and his, his diabetes from his class with the family, whole family shows up at the end of the school day. So this was maybe mid morning. We're in the hospital and I'm, I'm over there by three, four o'clock and his buddy walks in with their family. We call them our di- our diabetes Sherpas. Mm. Um, and you know, so they're, they've already become pretty close friends, but they're best friends at this point now. Um, and we're, that's it. You know, he's, his, his little buddy is up in the hospital bed with him and they're showing each other how to check finger sticks. Um, and I think because of the fact that we actually, he, we got to give him the credit to be kind of proactive and say, I think I have this. We diagnosed pretty early. We were out of the hospital in 24 hours, I think. And he was back in school by the end of the week, um, where we have a very supportive nursing staff and, he was the seventh type one in the school between the, the upper middle and lower school at that time. Wow. I've, it's a really touching and lovely story. And what I took from it is that your wife trusts the kids more than you, but, uh, I think, I think that goes without saying that she, in, in all things. And it's funny that, you know, my medical degree stops at the door in our house. Um, even for orthopedic issues, nobody's listening to me and any good sound medical advice once I'm in the house. Yeah. Um, but, but she knew and she she's amazing and I and she's gonna hear this episode and and she knows how amazing she is, but she pretty much runs the daytime affairs and she's managing uh all of the decision making remotely with the you know between texts 
And um, we love our school system, or our school and our school nurse, but um, COVID gave us an opportunity to go completely solo on this. And we, we haven't been in the nurse's suite for two, two and a half years now. Um, and he, she manages most of it day to day. Is he back at school now? Yeah. So we're very lucky that the school we're at here has been in person um, almost entirely since the beginning of the pandemic. And, and they've made some, they're testing once a week, everybody in the school, they've been very, it's a, just a good sense of community. So there was, wasn't even a question that everybody's going to wear a mask in school. Um, and they had very little uh, remote only time during the initial pandemic. And then for the last two school years, they've been in person the whole time. And my wife happens to be a physician assistant, which you'd also think might prepare us for handling, you know, managing a medical diagnosis. But, um, you know, she's been amazing in taking the reins of doing most of the day-to-day um, management and um, working with me, but spending more time working with uh, with our son now um, instead of in the office. But I'm looking forward to having her back in the office more frequently and in the operating room because I'm always looking for more help. Yeah. Can I, can I ask you to expound on that a little bit? Like, what's it like so I would imagine being a doctor and your wife, your wife being a physician's assistant, you you have that. I, I'm kind of going through this right now with my mom is ill. She's older and she's ill. And um, somebody gave me some great advice to not look too far ahead. Just kind of tackle the problem in front of you. Keep going. And I was surprised in the first weeks of. In the first weeks of my mom's illness, geez, I guess I'm going to talk about this here, Chad. Okay, hold on a second. That's that's well, okay. Let me center myself. And I'm sorry. And, and I'm sorry to hear that she's not doing well. Yeah, you know, she's she's doing actually oddly well. Hold on a second. Okay. I'll tell you the whole thing. So, going back about six months, my mom is fine. I'm she's 79 years old. She lives by herself. She uses a walker to help her get around, but you know, uh, two or three days a week gets on a community bus, goes to the gym. You know what I mean? Like, you know, this whole thing. Um, I go and drive her to a, a, a cardiac appointment one day. It's just a regular appointment where they look at her pacemaker, which she's had for, you know, 20 years maybe. And, um, I didn't notice anything different about her. Like, you know what I mean? I picked her up. I took her down. She got out of the car. She walked into the building. The whole day went as I expected it to 12 hours later, my brother calls me in the middle of the night and says, I'm taking mom to the emergency room. Hi. And I was like, w- w- why, what's wrong? Because she has incredible stomach pain and she can't go to the bathroom and something's wrong. So it's COVID hmm. and my brother has to sit in the parking lot for seven hours while my mom sits in pain in her nightgown oh. in the emergency room by herself. And my brother finally, I wake up in the morning and I say to him, how's it going? He goes, she's not in yet. And I was like, you, you got to get her somewhere else, man. So he he scooped her up, took her to a different hospital. There she waited a couple more hours, but got in. And they quickly diagnosed my mom with a UTI, kept her for a couple of days, gave her some antibiotics, sent her home. Well, she continued to struggle. And uh, a week or so later, we had her back at the emergency room, where this time they did some imaging again, as they did the first time. Um and, you know, said, oh, well, this is just, you know, the res- the residual of the uh, the UTI will drain her bladder and send her home. She'll be fine. And they do that. And a week later, my mom is still in trouble. But now she's declining. And I'm going to tell you that 
I've never really experienced anything like this. Um, but it was like watching someone turn a light dimmer down kind of quickly. Like mm -hmm. my mom went from that lady who I described at the beginning to sitting in a chair and not being able to stand up, being weak, having a hard time keeping her eyes open, like this whole thing. So I get her back to another ER. And this time in the ER, I press them. I was like, look, if you're going to make her wait, you have to give her a Foley catheter and drain her bladder. They drained her bladder and took out 2,000 cc's of urine. Wow. Even I know that's a lot as it's a bone doctor. A, it's a soda bottle full of liquid. Yeah. And luckily... I got them to drain her first because this time they scanned her when her bladder wasn't full so they could see the cancer. All right. Um, and so my mom had a large mass the size of a, a large grapefruit near her ovary. Um, she was, you know, still with that news, took two days to get her out of the ER into the hospital. And um, they started, you know, working her up for a plan. And I felt like, the oncology OB that she was, you know, that she was assigned. I felt like he wasn't really interested in doing surgery on my mom. Um, he said he was, but then everything he did kind of indicated that he wasn't like he, I, I, I can't say for sure, but I feel like he was going to slow walk her into the ground. If that makes sense. And, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I understand. Okay. And so we're watching it happen over weeks and one day, I'm just in my car driving back and forth from the hospital to see her. And I had this realization. It's not endos that don't understand diabetes. I've, I've gone on this thought for so many years that how could it be possible that we create all these endocrinologists that don't understand how to help people with type 1 diabetes? How do they not understand this thing? How do they not know how to talk to people? How do, and then I went, oh God, it might just be doctors. Like, <laughs> like and 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 I, I I was and then I thought, how is it possible I get on this podcast and tell people all the time, take control of your health. Don't listen to that's good enough or you're in range or whatever. Like I literally right. fell into the same trap that I watch people do because it was now suddenly cancer and not diabetes. Like I, I felt like all the things I knew I didn't know. And then when I just took the things that I know about type one and how to, how to go through the healthcare system and manage things and understand things and just applied them to my mom. Boom. Since then yeah. my, my mom has had surgery. They cleared away all the cancer. They gave her um, uh, a full hysterectomy uh, they found uh, a little more cancer that was kind of intertwined in a hernia that she had. They fixed her hernia. She's in rehab now and getting ready to see the doctor two weeks post, um, post-op, but not the doctor that saw her at the hospital. Right. <laughs> My neighbor's son grew up to be, this is crazy. I, I guess this is why I'm telling you this. My neighbor's son grew up to be an orthopedic surgeon. And I know he's a good one because at a pretty prestigious hospital on the East Coast, when there was one opening, he got it. Right. And I texted him and he said, oh, when I was in medical school, I had a friend who became a, an oncology OB. He texted her. She texted her, her mentor. And three days later, my mom was being seen by the mentor who said, I take this right out of you. Don't worry about it. There you go. Just like that. And it wasn't until I started treating my mom's illness the way I treat Arden's diabetes that anything happened. 
I genuinely think my mom's dead today if I didn't think, why am I listening to them? That, so. that, well, all those things you say, advocate for yourself. Um, you got the toolbox. You, it's your toolbox. You, you built it and you just had to tweak the tools for a different, you know, a different project. Yeah. I felt stupid at first, Chad. I felt like I was walking around with a toolbox in my hand going, I don't understand why I can't work this out. You know, that's, but yeah, but first of all, you shouldn't, because, you know, you've said this many times, um, you're not a medical expert. And even if you were, you could, I am, I'm a doctor. I got it. I got a diploma somewhere buried in my basement that proves it, but I wasn't prepared to treat type one diabetes, um, either as a doctor, let alone as a parent. Um, so you, you, you're different when you're the family, when you're the patient, it's, it's, it's different. It's okay to, that it's not. Uh, of clear thought and mind when you tackle, you know, in that first few hours of learning a diagnosis. Yeah. Well, Chad, you're very good at this because I told that story just to get you to this spot. So, sure. um, so what is you, it? you're good. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, it's something in medical school when, you know, so you go through two years of learning everything in the books and you're, you just buried in, in exams. And then after two years, you're like, all right, let's go see some patients. Let's go to the wards. Yeah. And, one of our doctors, one of the mentors came in and he, you know, he basically had this, um, he came in dressed as an old man. He was in makeup. He, he really looked like we couldn't tell who he was. And the whole sum of his little spiel that day was talk to patients like they're regular people who have no understanding of anything medical. Even if that patient is a doctor, always talk in the most simplest basic terms, not because people are stupid and don't understand you, but at that moment, they can't process everything. And if you don't keep it simple and explain it in a concise and clear way that, that you know they understand, there's no chance that any of that information is going to get through. And even if you are very simple and concise in explaining things, when someone's been hit with a ton of bricks over their head, like your mom diagnosis, like a cancer diagnosis, like a type one diagnosis, maybe 10%, 20% gets through. You know, it's you know, like the goalie is pretty good that first day and not letting much through uh, into your brain to, to process. So yeah. it, I've always taken that to heart and, you know, I, I never speak and I'm, and I can, you know, act like I'm a dumb bone doctor. That's our, our little joke. We like to say that we're strong as an ox and half as smart um, in orthopedics, but um, I always try and explain things on a very basic level to patients um, to make sure they get it because, you know, even though I'm not dealing in life and death in, in my practice, it's still a big deal to talk about surgery to somebody and recommend something like that, or try and encourage a physical therapy program or something that may take six months to recover and you get a patient on board to believe you well, that they got to put the work in to actually get there. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter what the ailment is and you shouldn't, you know, I know you're joking, but you know, your right. art, your art is as valuable as anyone else's. Givoc Hypopen has no visible needle and is a premixed auto-injector of glucagon for treatment of very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes ages 2 and above. Find out more. Go to givocglucagon.com forward slash juice box. shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit givoglucagon.com slash risk. If you've heard about the Diabetes Pro Tips and you'd like to find them here in the podcast, they begin at episode 210, 
or they're available at juiceboxpodcast.com and at diabetesprotip.com. I'd also like to remind you to take the survey at t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Before we get back to Chad, I'd like to tell you about the Omnipod. Here's what it is. It's a tubeless insulin pump. Actually, my daughter's been wearing an Omnipod every day since she was four years old, and she's about to turn 18. I think you might enjoy it as well. Here are your options. You go to omnipod.com forward slash juice box. When you get there, you can see if you're eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. You can also find out more about Omnipod's algorithm-based offering, the Omnipod 5. If you have a Dexcom G6 and the Omnipod 5, they talk to each other and make insulin decisions. Let's say you're interested in the Omnipod 5, but it's not covered by your insurance yet. And you think, well, I'll just wait then. You don't have to. You could actually get started with the Omnipod Dash, and then when it's covered by your insurance, switch effortlessly to the Omnipod 5. That's something that Omnipod calls the Omnipod Promise. They promise that you can... I forget how they say it. Maybe I should know this while making the ad. (laughs) Don't you think? Um... I have it right here. You want me to just read it? I'll I'll pretend like I'm I'm just going to read it. Ready? There's no need to wait for the next big thing, because with the Omnipod promise, you can upgrade to Omnipod's latest technologies for no additional cost as soon as they're available to you and covered by insurance. Terms and conditions apply, of course, and you can find out more details at Omnipod.com forward slash juice box, which just means if you're not eligible for the five yet, but you want it, you can get the dash now and just switch when your eligibility happens. The Omnipod is a terrific device. It is tubeless and you can wear it to bathe or shower, swim. You don't have to take it off for sports or other activities, if you know what I mean, adults. You'll always be getting your insulin just the way you're supposed to. Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. For full safety risk and information and Omnipod promises terms and conditions, you can also visit omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Now, let's get back to Chad. We have a lot more to talk about. I want you to talk a little bit about two medical professionals or parents and the diagnosis comes. I, I mean, everybody feels completely unprepared, but I would think most lay people would assume you'd be all right, but it's no different for you, is it? No, it's, it's, I mean, it's, um, it's so easy to answer that question. There's not even a qualifier or we were halfway ready. No, it, it's, you're not ready in medical school. Um, I didn't learn much orthopedics there either. Um, you know, so this is a lot of on-the-job training for how we manage um, his type one, and just trying to understand the nuances of his body, the changes with now that he's twelve, and he's, you know, he he is uh, taller than me now. I'm not a small person. He's almost six feet tall at age twelve, and he's playing lacrosse at the club level, and and he's playing basketball, and it's awesome to watch him because he is intense when he plays. He's the kid who wants to run sprints at the end Mm -hmm. and he wants to beat everybody at the sprints and the coach is yelling at the team saying, how is this defenseman beating you guys at sprints? 
Um, so trying to manage, you know, shifts in blood sugar when he's going 110% in a practice, let alone a game and trying to figure out, you know, where are we going to put the Dexcom? Where are we going to put, uh, you know, we had a tournament this weekend. I, I took a kitchen Tupperware and I, I hid his phone in the back of the goal so I could pick up a reading while he's on the field. Nice. Um, you know, so yeah. So you're just not prepared for any of it. Um, well, what would you say? I, I'm sorry. I cut you off. I didn't mean to. No, I just say you just, yeah, it's, it, 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 you know, I, I, the, my last treatment of diabetes as a doctor was as a resident writing a sliding scale for inpatients with NPH insulin on a sliding scale that none of us would use today. Um, well, as you say that the woman I was talking to when we started this episode is in Canada and she showed me some stuff. And I'm like, I said, I answered, I said, ew, comma, Canada, right. Canada <laughs> question mark. And, and she goes, yes, I'm in Canada. Um, yeah. so they, she's not using, you know, regular MPH, but they still have her on us using a sliding scale. And she's like, I can't figure out what's going on. I'm like, well, you're not using enough insulin for the meals. And right. I mean, I think your basil's too weak, but I can't tell because of what's happening. Like you have to, you have to get a, a carb ratio, you, you know, to try to get this closer. Um, but nobody's even talking to her about it. So it still does happen in places. Not, I mean, I'm, it's not maybe the whole of Canada, but there's, there's some <laughs> provinces that, that are doing it. Just like there are some States I'm talking to a woman, a young mom in Arizona right now too. And they got her kid on a sliding scale too. Right. Yeah, kids it's, uh, just jumps up and down all day long. But, but so what did you, what was the first thing? I mean, what were the first couple of things? Like how did the building blocks go together? So it started to make sense. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a surgeon. I think concretely I'm, I'm a fixer. I, I also like to think of the, um, give me a problem. Don't tell me how to fix it. Give me a problem and let me figure it out. So we start, figuring out, you know, carb counts and start realizing quickly, hey, it's a lot easier to weigh stuff than to try and count anything. So we get in that mindset of we're going to use a kitchen scale for everything and starting to figure out how we respond to certain foods and listening to the podcast was super helpful. Talking to our um, our Sherpa, our diabetes Sherpas that uh, from his diabetes family that were helping us. Um, really, my wife is amazing. Like, you know, from day one, we knew we wanted a Dexcom and we wanted a pump. And it wasn't like, you know, maybe in a little bit, she had the rep was in the hospital meeting us from Dexcom and we had a Dexcom on him in less than a month. And we had a pump by three months. And, and she, and that was mostly her pushing because she knew that those tools were going to make it easier for us to manage. And we're going to give us more peace of mind to not keep doing the 2am finger sticks, um, sending him to school and not having to worry that he's going to drop low during a gym class because we could watch it remotely. Um, so understanding and getting those tools to work for us. And then, you know, when I see people complaining about Dexcom and, and I can tell you 80% of our sensors fail early. Um, we bought stock in Dexcom simply on the fact that we kept replacing 80% of our sensors and they were still making such, such margins and revenues. I said, if they're making a profit replacing so much of their stock, you know, so much of their, their product, I got to own that company before, before they, you know, they get any more expensive. So that's, um, Chad, that's funny, but let me tell you, that yeah. might've been flawed thinking because I don't think, well, I don't know the last time Arden sensor didn't last 10 days. I can't think of it ever happening once. Like hers goes right up till it shuts off. Works perfectly. It's we get seven to eight. I think, I mean, I mean, our son is really lean. He's, he's stretched out lean. So I think a lot of it has to do with that, but, um, 
understanding hydration that is like the top 10 top 10 troubleshooting steps you take before anything else um makes a huge difference um just understanding how it works so when people are so befuddled by the difference between their finger stick and their dexcom and sometimes if i have the time i'll maybe type out a nice explanation to try and and help out but you know understanding how the technology the trends learning that you follow the trends not the absolute number piece by piece that's that's how you put it together and then it's the way i look at it is every opportunity to bolus basil change it's data it's an experiment um he eats a pizza and you know his sugars go too high we go too low you learn from the data and you adapt so you know it's um we're changing basils probably every two to three days just because he goes through a growth spurt um and just when you get it locked in it changes on you and rather than getting frustrated and saying well maybe his pump's not working maybe you know the insulin went bad we say well probably all those things that are pretty consistently reliable are fine and it's the fact that he's going through a growth spurt again that we need to make some adjustments and not be afraid to not just change his basal by a little bit but by i'd like to go by a percentage so i'll we'll dial it in by 10 percent or 20 percent shift at a time rather than just going up 0.05 or, or 0.1 like we used to do mm-hmm. in the early days of, of being really really slow and careful about it i i have to tell you like hearing you say all that it just it warms my whole chest up i'm so happy it, you it know. should yeah well you, it's your fault it's your fault completely in a good way i, I just I, and it makes me well it used to make me sad i used to think oh wow some people are going to get it and some people aren't Right. And even right. when you're listening, you might think, well, okay, great. Chad understands. Chad went to medical school. He's obviously has an ability to understand this. I don't have that ability, but I don't think that's the case. I, I, I do yeah. think that I've put it, it's in this podcast in terms that I feel like are accessible to everybody. And yes. and your desire to do it, I really don't want that to come off as like insulting, but you have to want to do it. You have to like, it's, it's like anything else. It's like, it's how my son learned how to like deadlift 525 pounds. He didn't just start at 525. You, you know, right. he he started at a lower number. He dedicated himself to it and he kept going until he accomplished step by step by step. Diabetes is the same thing. It's it, it's no different than any other thing that's that's difficult. You, you know, you right. start, you take small bites, you figure it out, you keep you keep goals attainable you don't look too far down the road like i was talking about with my with my mom like you know like you just do what needs to be done today um Mm -hmm. and you don't worry too much about tomorrow sometimes you don't worry too much about this afternoon you know you just you do what needs to be done right now and eventually through experience both good and bad positive and negative you just sort of come out the other end it's just like you're rebirthed and you're like, oh, I understand diabetes now. Like, I know how to use this insulin. I know not to stare at this blood sugar all day and go, this is the pump's fault. Like, I have a yeah. note waiting for me right now that says I switched to an insulin pump and this was a huge mistake. And <laughs> and I was like, uh, all right, Mike, you know, and, and it's uh, my 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 kids A1C uh, rolling daily A1C was like seven. Now it's seven and a half. And so I see that. And I realize what the person's saying is, look, I moved to a pump and my kid's average A1C daily is gone up. What I what I saw was your average A1C was already too high by point and a half in my estimation. And so yeah. which which indicates to me that your your settings were already not close enough 
they were just, you were okay with them for some reason. Maybe the doctor told you, who cares why? Like you were okay with a 7A1C and which means you're not using enough basil in my estimation, just blindly. And, you know, you probably don't understand how to bolster your meals correctly. And now suddenly you move to a pump where they were probably, the doctor probably gave you even even weaker basal rates because they were like, we don't want you to get low. But I mean, I don't know how right. low you're getting if you're A1C7, right? Like, so, I mean, unless you're bouncing around like crazy. And I am going to answer that person at some point. And I'm going to tell them, look, your basal's probably wrong. Show me your graph. They're going to show me a graph where I'm going to imagine I'm going to see stability around the 150, 160 range. And we're going to talk about getting their basal right, making sure they're, you know, don't, you know, check your boluses. It's the same thing over and over again. Um, and I used to get frustrated by it because I, I would think it's in the podcast. And then I realized <laughs> that it's, it's that there's going to need to be a community aspect to this, too. I can't just expect everybody to do what you and your wife did, pick up this stupid podcast and listen through it like it was the Torah looking for answers. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, so I, 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 I was terrified about the pump. You know, my wife was pushing it like we got approval. And I'm thinking like, this was only two, three months in. I got this. I know how to use a pen. I know I need to have a dose uh, shots. Why do we need a pump? Yeah. Um, and I couldn't imagine going back. We had to go back on, on a... MDI for a couple of days because we had a um, the, a a failed PDM and we we're waiting for the new one to be shipped out. And we we were fine. We calculated. We reverse calculated what the long acting was going to be, and we were we were great for a day. Um, but there's no way I'd want to go back to MDI after living in the pump world and being able to change basils, you know, every couple of hours if I feel like it. It's just having that control over the you know, the outcomes, but I absolutely understand that hesitancy and it absolutely took us time to figure out how to make those settings work for us and not just blindly trust the, our endo who we love, but, you know, they're doing their best in the moment, but that moment in a child is going to change in two days. So mm -hmm. having the tools to make those adjustments is critical rather than railing on the endo for not, you know, making adjustments for you every two or three days, just do it yourself. Yeah. Now I, 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 so I'm Jen, Jenny and I are getting ready to in two twelve two thousand twenty two. Actually, I've dated this episode so much. You're you're not gonna have to wait for yours. So yours is gonna have to go up sooner. I'm talking about my mom and all kinds of like time related stuff. I don't want to mess people up on too much. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You tricked me into getting your your episode up sooner. Uh, <laughs> but but right now, Jenny and I are. It's the end of the year, twenty twenty one. Yep. And in 2021, we did variables. Like we leaned pretty heavily into into talking about variables with Jenny this year. At mm -hmm. Next year, we're going to readdress the pro tip series. Like we're going to do a deeper dive on the pro tip series itself. And I, that started out by me going online and asking people like, here's an episode. What questions do you have now still after listening to this episode? Like, let's make this episode better. You know, um, I love it. Yeah, I love that idea. Basically building a, you know, a, a compendium to it. And, mm -hmm. um, and so I'm listening, I'm watching people answer and there's part of me that's like, Oh God, like there are more, there's more to say, which I knew, but it still broke my heart a little bit. I'm like, Oh, I didn't get it all completely right the first time, but it is all off the top of my head. I know. Do you find that hard to believe that the pro tips are off the top of my head and the top of hers? You know what? Understanding. I think if, if I didn't, have some sense of how long you've been doing this. Um, 
and Jenny has been doing this and the fact that, you know, that, that it is what Jenny lives and you live, you know, I can, I could get that. Um, but, and I, and I will say when I listen to the pro tips, I often get to the end of the episode and I'm like, that was really good, but I wanted more. I wanted, you know, a little deeper dive because I feel like as you start to understand it better, like as a newbie, I would, I would have to listen to the pro tip, you know, episode five times to get it. But now I'm like, I understood everything they just said. Give me chapter two of that same topic now. I'm ready for, you know, protein 201 and for, you know, basal 305 class. Well, we're going to try. So, um, yeah. But uh, my point was is that w- as people are answering back, it, it, it helped me realize, like, it's not that I didn't know, but I was like, well, there's so much more to talk about for some people, for the people who want it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not going to be for everybody. I think there are some people who are happy with a seven, which I don't. I mean, listen, that's, it's not for me to judge, you know, I don't, I don't care what you do. Um, and, and maybe they're in a different situation. I, I even understand when people say I'm too busy to listen to it. Like I, I get it, you know? Um, but I was a little like, like, because I think those pro tip episodes are maybe in my estimation, the most helpful thing that I've seen that's available freely online for people about diabetes. Right. And it, uh, it, it's the best advice I could give. And when people ask me when sometimes, you know, a new family's diagnosed and somebody connects us with them, it, it's not even like the first thing out of our mouth is, do you know about the juice box podcast? No, go, go sign up for it. Go find the episodes, start listening to the pro tips. Yeah. It's not even don't, don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Start that first. And we could figure out the Dexcom and everything else later. You want to hear something crazy? I don't normally, um, uh, I listen, I'm not going to uh, now or in the future tell you guys how much the podcast is downloaded. You know, I'm not going to put a real number on it because it's kind of, I know that's weird, but that in the podcast world, that's pretty proprietary information that I need for sure. advertising and stuff like that. But the first episode of the Pro Tip series, the 210, it's newly diagnosed or starting over. Uh-huh. has been downloaded about 50,000 times. Wow. So um, that's, it's, I mean, it's huge, but look, we got how close to 5 million type one diabetics in, in the U S and yeah. a lot more, 10 times that uh, type two, we, we need to get that downloaded, you know, oh, no, no, 50 million times. You're, first of all, I, I agree. Um, yeah. And at the same time, I can tell you that I saw a, there's another diabetes podcast that last year celebrated and I felt really good for the person. Please don't get me wrong. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not holding one up against the other, but for the, for the purposes of perspective, this person said, I had a really great first year with my diabetes podcast. I had over 4,000 downloads right. in a year. And I mean, it's like 1030 in the morning and I haven't looked at my downloads, but if I don't have over 4,000 <laughs> downloads today, I, I, something's going really wrong, Chad, and I got to get on it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a, it's a scope thing. And I agree with you. Sure. Once you once you have something that's going to help people, your next job is to is to scale it, you, you know, and yeah. and try to reach more people. But absolutely, and hopefully, a percentage of them come away with something valuable. But you really did. Like, what's your kids' A one C? Can you say? Um, we we don't like to talk numbers. Um, okay. But I will I will say that um, our best improvement came after you know as we were listening to everything we're learning in the podcast. Um, and then the other thing is, is it really, we're hitting a moving target with this kid and his growth. It's, I don't know where he gets it from because he's outpaced um, anyone in the family and he's, and he's got more room to go from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but we're, we're happy with where he's at. And um, um, 
you know, and, and we try to focus in, I'd like to see time and range kind of become more of a standard, but even I use A1C when I screen my patients and we're talking about how diabetes may or may not affect issues regarding surgery and bone healing and everything else. My first question is, you know, what was your last A1C? Yeah. Um, and type ones are spot on. They know the number, you know, they're, they're, they're not my worry, my problem children. It's my type two patients who say, what's an A1C or, um, you know, they're coming back with some double digit number, um, and having, you know, far less of an insight into why that matters or how that matters. Um, my type one patients are, are on point almost universally with, uh, with their management, with their A1C and understanding how it affects them. And, and it really doesn't get in the way of our treatment usually. Yeah. Well, I agree with you about time and range for certain. And I didn't mean to make you yeah. upset uh, or uncomfortable, That's okay. number, but you did, you started to allude to a leap, but you didn't tell me what it was. To, uh, sorry, to you, a leap. There was some leap where oh. you moved a, per, a, a percentage or a number. Just, you just didn't say the number. That's all. Well, yeah. So, so without saying the number, I will say, but it was when we we started doing our own adjustments. It wasn't, That's you know, when you saw every three program. months. Yeah, that was the difference when we were making adjustments every week, not every three months. Gotcha. Excellent. No, that's. Uh, I mean. To be honest, like most of this game is being comfortable enough with the insulin to make decisions on your own. It's uh, yeah, a pretty big, and game. It, it's huge. And I, and I always say, you know, I, I probably stole this from you, but I don't know. Um, Insulin works slow, sugar works fast. So, you know, what are you worried about? You can you can always you, you can always add a little more sugar to the to the recipe if you overdo it, but it's forever trying to drag down a stubborn high. Yeah. If you're not being aggressive. It's interesting, isn't it, in so many aspects where people take the physical body out of the equation for some reason. They look at the the insulin, but they don't mm -hmm. think about the body. Like like you said right. earlier, like, you know, your son's needs, you know, they they greatly change fairly consistently. And, and instead of saying, Oh, you know, uh, what was the thing? Somebody, I saw somebody say the other day, it was something about like, Oh, what happened to my blood sugar? Is it because I put a red shirt on today? And I'm like, I mean, I get that's funny and it is fun to be lighthearted about it, but right. you also run the risk of telling new people that this thing is unknowable and right. it's, it's not unknowable. You, you know, you just have to know what to look for. And, uh, and staying flexible like that is such a big deal. Like it just is. I mean, listen, if you have a daughter, especially one who's uh, of menstruating age and you don't understand the be flexible part of diabetes, you're going to have weeks that, that go poorly. Yeah. I, I read what, you know, what you've done and how you've finally tried to figure out the changes with menstrual cycles and other people in the, in the podcast group. And on, on the one hand, we're, you know, we, we don't love being in this club that we're all in for type one, but um, it, it, we do sometimes say, wow, managing his changes with growth and puberty are one thing, but, it, but at least we're not trying to manage, you know, a, a monthly change and doubling a basal with a menstrual cycle, which seems so hard to, to keep in range and to stay consistent and, and um, yeah. uh, hats off to the to the parents of of uh women type one women and type one women out there who are you know at that that extra burden of trying to keep that um with a week to week you know literal doubling of basal needs is just a uh, hard to fathom it's it's like you're going for a walk and someone's like you should take a bag with 50 pounds of rocks in it 
<laughs> right. <laughs> Wait, I, it wasn't walking up the mountain enough. No, nah, no, nah, you should definitely carry a bag of 50 pounds of rocks in it. That'll, that'll yeah. really, you know, let's test you a little bit. You, you know, Chad, Chad, I'm having a wonderful time talking to you. I've realized now I've taken you over the time and I haven't asked you if you're okay with that. And I, I am. And I, I, I blocked off. This is a rare treat for me because my Wednesdays are usually a really hectic office day. Okay. Um, and I actually blocked off the whole morning. Um, I don't have patience till the afternoon. So if I'm happy to, to stay on longer, or if you want to dig in on some orthopedic specific stuff, um, well, I'm more than happy to stay on. I'm completely touched. And what I was going to say is uh, we have not yet covered any of the reasons why you asked to be on the podcast. And I'm looking at my, I know. I'm looking at my <laughs> counter up here and we're like cresting an hour. And I was like, well, I've done it again. I uh, <laughs> So um so specifically to your to your practice, I, I did find myself wondering when you're talking about type twos. I mean, is it just general health that keeps people from healing or from not being injured, or um, you know, can you point specifically to diabetes impacts on joints and muscles and and ligaments? So you know, I was I was doing a little prep work last night. I was looking at some research just to kind of freshen up things and numbers. Um, there's some studies out there that actually show A1C doesn't have an effect. If you just look at that single number as a risk factor for an infection after a knee replacement or a wound infection after a surgery, um, if I look as a whole, if I just take my gestalt of taking care of people now that I've been in practice 10 years, um, type 2 diabetics are a wide, wide range of, of patients because you have some that are barely type two that are, have an elevated A1C and are diet controlled. And you have some that are just poorly managed. They're on insulin already. Um, and it's a slippery slope in my mind when you have type two diabetes and insulin, I feel like sometimes you're almost feeding the, the resistance because you're just pumping, your body has already pumped more insulin into the system and that wasn't enough. So now we're adding extra outside insulin. Um, and there's a lot of lifestyle issues related to activity, um, how much exercise we're getting, how active people's lifestyles are from work and non-work. Diets are huge. I think as, as doctors, we are awful, just God awful at understanding nutrition. And we don't teach we, meaning we, I'm not teaching any doctors, but nobody really gave me a great instruction on nutrition. And I've had an interest in it for my own personal health reasons and absolutely doubled down on it now that I'm trying to understand nutrition better for our son. Um, so there's a whole host of things that I think make treating a type one and type two diabetic really a different patient when you stratify risk and you talk about, you know, how is my diabetes going to affect my outcome, whether it's a fracture, a surgery, a sprain. Um, and, and just to circle back, cause we, we've talked about sprain tear. Um, when we talk about the grade of tear, so, so when you, sprain something, you stretch and or tear it. Um, so a grade one sprain is a little stretch, but as we start to tear that structure, that ligament, then you get into higher grade, grade two, grade three. Um, so also, you know, discussing terminology with patients and, uh, but yeah, so, so diabetes affects things, but it doesn't have to. And I think it's greater than just your A1C or greater than just your, your, you know, fasting blood sugar, it's what are the factors in your life that have led to that point in time? And how are you managing your overall general health in terms of diet and exercise? Um, 
that absolutely has got to be part of our discussion when we talk about orthopedic injuries. It's not enough for me to fix you and put the broken thing back together. We got to get the function back into the system somehow. And that's going to take effort from, you know, from the patient and from physical therapy and, and attitude and effort are the two things I can't give you, but yeah. I can absolutely, you know, emphasize their importance. I have to say that I've been surprised through COVID that in a in a, a worldwide scenario where it became pretty obvious that your general health had a lot to do with you being able to fight COVID, that yeah. we didn't talk about it at all, like as a country or through medicine or you know social media, it just in general did not get spoken about very much. And and to go back to what you said a minute ago about you were specifically talking about type twos, and you said you feel like sometimes it's a slippery slope using insulin. I felt like what you were saying was that sometimes people skip over the lifestyle factors that they have, that they could try to change and jump right to the insulin is, and right. so you're skipping problem a and, and just addressing what problem a is, is, is adding to, is that in my understanding? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, you know, insulin resistance, your body, your body doesn't respond to insulin anymore. Um, and we deal with this with type one also sometimes when you've had sometimes um, longstanding type one or maybe other lifestyle issues that are giving you some resistance in addition to the fact that you don't make any to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the, how do we improve our insulin resistance? And, and once again, I'm not a medical doctor. I'd say all the time to my patients, I'm a, I'm a glorified mechanic. But if I had a minor in any part of medicine, now it's diabetes. And now I understand type one and type two. 20 times better than I ever did. So mm -hmm. insulin resistance, we can change that. So when somebody has type two and we say, you know, you can, you can get rid of your type two, you, there's truth to that. If we make modifications to our diet and have less of a need for insulin in the foods we eat, and we also need to increase the sensitivity of our tissue. And, and what's one of the biggest tissue that's going to drive glucose out of your blood, it's our muscle. So if we make more and bigger muscles, now all of a sudden our body is helping us to need that glucose to get out of the blood. And the, if you look now and you get a little nerdy on the science, there are regulator, there are receptors on our muscles for glucose and insulin helps to unlock that receptor key in the lock opens up glucose goes in the muscle. How do we get that? How do we get that door to open up more frequently and more doors to open? Well, you're going to have to use that muscle mm -hmm. and, going for a walk is good. That's a good start. But what if we added some weightlifting to it also? Yeah. Um, then we start to really make some shifts here in the, me the metabolism side of things. And if we also change, and I always talk to patients about weight loss because it affects knee pain and arthritis. And, and I always say, we're, we're going to work on our weight loss in the kitchen. That's not in the gym. We're not going to chase a bad diet. Um, so what are the dietary changes we're going to make that are going to help us? And it's not a one size fits all. I mean, I, I mean, there's so many diets out there and there's probably a diet that's perfect for every person on the planet, but it's not the same one. Mm -hmm. And I encourage a lot of trial and error. And we talk about low carb diets and I've talked about paleo diets with patients and they get all hyped about keto and it's all right, let's talk about keto and let's understand what that really means in terms of what your intake is going to be and how sustainable is that going to be for more than a few weeks or a month? Um, and I spend a lot more time than I thought I ever would as a orthopod who just likes to do surgery, talking about diet modifications, lifestyle changes, 
getting a proper exercise. I'll get patients that say, show me your squat and let's squat down here and start making some form corrections. When people say it hurts when I squat and I don't accept it, if it hurts when you squat, you shouldn't squat. I say, well, let's, let's see why it hurts. And let's actually teach you how to do that better and get some physical therapy involved or a trainer involved. Yeah. Um, so it's huge. The lifestyle piece is, is far better than I can do surgery wise for a lot of my patients. Mm-hmm. Well, I am, I appreciate you bringing it up because a lot of people don't want to talk about it. It's, it, it no, it's it, work. <laughs> well, and you, 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 you run the risk of offending people too. I, I, I think yeah. that, I think it's important to say that, that, you know, when you specifically talking about type twos and insulin resistance, I'm not even talking about your, your body makeup, you know, right. you could, you could look thin, you could look heavy and have type two diabetes. It, 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 it doesn't matter. It's how your body's dealing with it. I think that what you said about just lifting heavier things, I mean, I'm, I'm as far from a doctor as there could possibly be, but it seems to me that we are basically like organisms that are machines, right? Like your, your life cycle is you, you're born, you grow to a, to a size where you can be valuable to the clan, right? And that, and that that used to mean walking around, lifting things, carrying things. And now it means making a podcast and sitting in this chair. And so your body very well may see your lifestyle as, Oh, you know, I I guess it's okay if we start aging out now because he's not helping the clan, uh, you know, and so you have to go make that somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, all the time I, we, I talk about that, the evolution of the human form, the human body, we're, we're living in a body evolved thousands of years ago to hunt and gather. And there's really nothing, you know, our, our lifestyles changed and now you don't have to go out and hunt, you know, a Buffalo to survive off the meat. You can go to the corner convenience store and hunt a bag of chips. Um, So it's a problem with that. We have this, you know, this calories all around us, and a lot less effort required to achieve them. And we earn our keep by sitting in front of computer screens now. So, which I think is great. I mean, I, I'm not lifting heavy boxes in a warehouse. I sit in an, on a stool and I stand up and walk around and I stand still for hours at a time doing surgery, but I have to fill my other time with lifting heavy things and uh, you know, doing ex- exercise and activity that takes advantage of the fact that my joints do move and the muscles do move yeah. Um, and that's absolutely, yeah, it's, it's a hard sell a little bit, even though it makes perfect sense if you explain it the right way. Well, um, yeah, but it's hard. You got to do the work. You use the example of a person working in a warehouse, a person working in a warehouse that they're living, you know, working day is that they have to right. supplement it in their personal time with rest, you know, because they can't just go and they're normally you see those people are in incredible shape, you know, because they're, they're basically exercising all day as part of their job. You just flip that around. If you're a person like me who sits around all day working, then in your personal time, I need to move. Like it's, okay. it's I mean, it's not rocket science, right? It's like, like, you know, we, like we, 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 not. we need a certain amount of, of movement. We need a certain amount of, of heavy weight lifting, whatever heavy is to you. Like you don't need to, you don't need to yank up 525 pounds. My kid's trying to throw a baseball through a brick wall. You, you know what I mean? Like right. you're, you're just trying for your muscles to stay taut um, active, lo- a little uh, larger so that you burn off your insulin, you know, yep. you're, you're, you're well, and you, you manage your insulin well through your, ma- Jenny talks about all the time, how people with good muscular skeletons, um, you know, man that they have lower insulin needs usually. 
you know. Yeah, and, and if you, it makes sense if you understand the physiology involved. If you, so I always, I always like to use these, you know, kind of make it simple analogies. But when we talk about, I talk to people about um, exercise and all they're doing is maybe running on a treadmill or they're riding a bike, but they're not doing any weight training or stretching or yoga. So if you get on the bike today and you ride the bike for 30 minutes, you burn calories for 30 minutes, your muscles work for 30 minutes, and that's good work. But as soon as you stop that ride, the factory is closed. The lights go off, the workers go home, and there's no more work being done. If I go lift weights for 30 minutes, I'm actually creating, not in a bad way, but I'm creating some little micro tears. There's a little bit of damage going on to, to use resistance if I'm using you know, a heavy weight. And the muscle responds by getting stronger, by getting larger in terms of the muscle units, by recruiting more muscle units to do work. Mm-hmm. That magic happens after I put the weight down and I walk away and I go to sleep that night. And that, that, that factory is still burning that third shift overnight when I lifted weights. So they're both important, yeah. but, um, but they do different things. And you can keep your metabolism running you know, pass passively when you're not doing anything, if you've done some resistance exercise as part of your overall, you know, weekly repertoire of activity. Mm-hmm. You you're, I just did a variable on, I think exercise. God, I think I did. I got to be honest with you, Chad, this podcast is a blur to me sometimes, but w- where I remember Jenny talking about those exact things about the difference between resistance and, um, you know, and, and anaerobic. Uh, my son was just telling me about a teammate of his who's doing this thing now where he just puts his he stands up with his feet apart and then he basically tries to rip the ground open with his legs. Like, you know, and you know, he's pushing out with his feet yeah. and my son's like, I watch him and he, he's working harder than people who are throwing around 400 pounds. And, yeah. and, and he's like, it's just, he, and, and the kid thinks he's getting stronger from it. You, you know, like it's just, he's doing an isometric exercise. He's, he's firing his, you know, his glutes, the, the, the muscles on the side of our hips, which don't get nearly enough love as they should. He's got to fire those muscles to spread the earth apart between, between his feet. Right. Um, so they, yeah, there's something happening there, even though if you're watching him, you know, you're like, wow, was this just filming like a weird TikTok or yeah, yeah, he's standing what's still. happening? Uh, my kids, my kids, like, my God, he's like, he's sweating and like, it's hard yeah. for him. Am I making this up? And maybe you don't know isometric exercise developed by a man who got caught in a cabin in a, in a lands, like a snow, what is it called? When snow goes over a mountain uh, avalanche. avalanche and he's stuck in there for like months and he kept himself in amazing shape, pushing on door frames and things like that. Am I making that up? I, I, I don't know, but I like, I mean, it sounds plausible. Just go so like, let's pretend it's fact. And yeah, uh, it's, yeah. it's a, yeah, that's exactly what I learned in uh in isometric muscle school. That sounds right. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Go, <laughs> you can Google it in your own time if you want. It's just how I heard it. Um, yeah. That's really something. I appreciate you, you talking about all this. Is there more, is there anything else you want to talk about? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, notes, um, right? so I mean, I could talk about this topic for, for days because that's just, I'm a, I'm a geek when it comes to movement and the importance of it. And that's what I, I spend most of my day talking to patients about, you got to move more, you know, whether we're talking about your rotator cuff tendonitis, that's shoulders achy from sitting in front of the computer too much, or we're trying to understand why sitting is bad for us and how we have to, to counterbalance it. But um, I think as a surgeon, one thing I also want to bring up, cause I see it come up not infrequently now is with surgery and having surgery and our devices and our pumps and our Dexcoms, um, 
and Libre and what have you. I think I'm always an advocate for that being part of your, um, you know, that all stays on in my OR. Mm -hmm. um, I almost, I don't usually lose my cool, but I got hot last week when I got an email about a type one patient coming up for a, a shoulder scope. And it was even like brought up, like, are they going to be allowed to have their devices? And it wasn't coming from, um, I'm not sure kind of who had put that idea in the patient's head. It might've been like at a pre-op exam. Um, but I think that is such an easy tool for to help us. So I always, I always want patients to know your doctor, number one, should be on your team. If your surgeon's not advocating for you to keep all that stuff on in the OR, um, then you got you to gotta be a little pushy. Um, the anesthesia doctors I work with absolutely love the technology because it makes their job way easier to have the ability to watch your blood sugar and not have to worry about it during surgery. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's something that, um, you know, I, I see a lot of people when they're having a procedure or surgery, they're always worried about that, but it seems like they're afraid to ask. And that should absolutely be something you ask your, your physician, your, um, your surgeon, your anesthesia doctor, if you're in a hospital, if you're admitted to the hospital for whatever reason, don't ever let anyone tell you you can't have your devices um, and make a stink and ask for a charge nurse and ask for a patient advocate. And if your doctor isn't, you know, writing an order to say patient may use their own pump or may use their own CGM, um, you know, then then be a little bit more pushy about it or what hate to say get another doctor, but yeah. What, what happens when the doctors keep pushing back? Like this is not apples to apples, but I'm speaking yeah. with three different people right now who have a TSH level that indicates to me and anybody who really understands thyroid that they need a thyroid replacement hormone, right? But their doctors subscribe to the idea that if your TSH isn't over 10, then you don't get a thyroid replacement hormone. They, one, one is a kid who's, you know, falling asleep, basically hairs falling out. We can't oh, breathe. Wow. Like, you know, doctors like, Oh no, the TSH isn't high. It's not that <laughs> another one's a woman. I just started talking to this morning in Australia. Who's like, and she, and she brought up this great point. Like the doctor shopping is expensive. Mm -hmm. Like, like how many doctors do I need to go to before I, I hit one who goes, yeah, here, take some Synthroid. You know what I mean? And, and what, what happens when you are advocating for yourself but in the midst of advocating, someone's standing in front of you who's holding the key going, nah, you can't come in. Like, like, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> well, this is tough because, you know, it's not fair or right that you have sort of that mentality. And you see this with what you've, you've mentioned with the TSH and treating thyroid. You see it with the loopers um, when we get into those folks who have chosen to do a DIY loop and, and their endos aren't supportive. Um, or sometimes when um, you know you're stuck, maybe between geographically between a rough location or long distance between any providers in any direction, and you're just trying to get supplies. So I think number one, you got to advocate for yourself, and if you feel strongly enough that maybe your doctor is not pursuing the right avenues, it's always okay to go to another doctor. Um, and I never discourage second opinions. I offer patients. I said, let me, you know, I, you won't offend me. I'll have you see one of my partners in my group. I'll send you to someone else in town I trust. At least let me help you find someone I know is understands this problem well so that you're not getting the opinion of someone that's not qualified. Mm -hmm. um, any doctor who's afraid of a second opinion or fights back on it, that's to me, that's a red flag. Um, 
and it's sticky when we deal with something like diabetes management where you know you may not be able to just you know disconnect your doctor and then worry about who's going to write your prescriptions when you need insulin but it's okay to shop around or or not so much going to 10 different doctors but you know you've put up the uh the section of the website where you track kind of kind of the good doctors people like mm-hmm. the facebook groups are great you know find the group in your area geographically and who do you like and who's sympathetic to this problem or you know who's got thyroid issues that's got an endo that's really proactive um so you got to do a little bit of work here and be willing to maybe leave a doctor you really like for 99 percent of it but the one percent is driving you crazy that they won't get yeah. behind i worry i worry about the problem associated with well thyroid and diabetes where if your health is so far out of whack that you can yeah. you could be there just a fraction of who you are physically and mentally. You know what I mean? And you're and you're, you're like you're like well you got to fight, you got to ask, you got to go on. You're like I can't lift my head up. I when my when my iron got really low, there was a moment where I was just there going like, look, if someone doesn't help me, I'm going to die. Like I can't get up and help myself now. And and I yeah. think, I think when your blood sugars are super low or super high or bouncing around or your, you know, or your thyroid's so whacked out of your skull that you can barely breathe walking upstairs or keep your eyes open. Like, how do you fight in that situation? Like, at what point do we expect somebody to know their job and not just look at the the thing? Go, oh, it's in range. <laughs> it's I know it's it's tough, and I am you know I am I love my specialty, and I'm blessed to deal with. I love the musculoskeletal system, and and I can am comfortable fixing things. If something's broke, I fix it. It's torn, I, I reconstruct it. I you tear your ACL, I'll make you a new one. And that's such an easier kind of a treatment tree to go through. And that's why I chose orthopedics because I didn't like medicine where, all right, you got something wrong, let's give you a pill and let's wait a month and see if it works. Mm-hmm. And then it worked a little bit. Let's give you a double the dose or let's try another pill. So I, I don't, I like that concreteness of something's broke. I fix it. Um, yeah. D- dude, don't go get me wrong. I know there was, that's no tough. Answer. there was no answer to yeah. the question, but it, need, I know it needs to be asked. So the people listening can hear that there's no answer to the question. Because, yeah. because- but I think just, just like this podcast emboldens you to take care of your diabetes and your day-to-day management, use that set, that same mindset of, okay, so I think I'm doing okay on on the insulin and the diabetes and the blood sugar. The thyroid is where I'm not. So what am I going to have to do? I can't prescribe myself Synthroid, but I know that whomever is is taking care of this problem now is not the right guy for the job or the right gal for the job. So you you are going to have to do a little legwork maybe, and maybe not physical, like get up and go to places, but start asking people, talk to your primary care physician and say, you know, who do you like? Not for diabetes, just say, say, what do you do with your patients with hypothyroid? Where are you sending them? Are you treating them yourself? Um, a lot of primary care doctors take care of thyroid dysfunction because it's so common. Um, we talk about it in the context of diabetes all the time because of the autoimmune issue, but there's a lot more people with thyroid issues that are not diabetic than are. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't just fall into the, to the endos bucket. It falls into most primary care doctors and, and, um, you know, and so being willing to just expand your thought process a little bit and maybe not, you know, filter everything through your endo because you trust them so much for type one, but maybe you need, 
your endo for type one, and maybe you trust your PCP to manage your thyroid. I'm going to tell you something, and then I'm going to ask you your questions. And I'm going to let you out of here. So sure. I, I just had this private conversation with somebody the other day. It's not important who it was or why it came up. And this is what I said. After watching diabetes for so long with my, my daughter, after watching thyroid for so long with my wife, then with my daughter, and now my son who has Hashimoto's, and mm -hmm. then watching my mom go through her diagnosis and figure out that she has cancer and, and needs to have it removed and everything that comes along with it. What I've come to the conclusion is, yes, the system doesn't work properly a lot of the times for people in these situations. But if you think the answer is, we'll fix the system, you're <laughs> out of your mind and yep. <laughs> about to waste your, like, I'm not saying you shouldn't try to fix the system. Go ahead. If you've got free time, go ahead and rail against the wind and try to make the world work a different way and et cetera. But just remember that people are the failing of the system and the system is built on people. And so yeah. you, you can't fundamentally like, just look at how we're talking about diabetes. You can't, that's just one little idea. You can't fundamentally yeah. fix the world. You have to get in there and fight for yourself. There's no, you, you're still going to have your health problems if the system's broke. You understanding the system's broke isn't going to make your health problems go away. It's just an excuse. It's, it's well, I can't do this, the, the system. I live in Canada. They give us a sliding scale. Um, my, doctor, my doctor doesn't understand that my TSH might be four and I have symptoms. And if they gave me Synthroid, the symptoms would go away and my life would be better. It, it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, it does. And in a perfect world, if I had a magic wand, I'd fix it for you. But that's not going to happen. And, and right. that's where you got to set your mind right and get to work. You either want to have success in your health and you're willing to work on it by yourself, or you're going to have what I consider to be at this point now, now that I've gone through it, a bit of a childish attitude that there are magic people in the world who fix problems. It's just, it's not how it goes, man. There are, there are regular people and there are some people who help you with your health and some of them are great and some of them don't have all the information they need. And some of them were just really good at the book learning and wanted to make a bunch of money. And like, you know what I mean? Like you're going to get a mixture of all these people, you spending yeah. your time banging your head against the wall going, this isn't fair or this isn't right, or it should be better. It, that ain't going to help anything. Yeah, I, I, early in practice, I came to the realization and, and I'm, I'm a doctor. I took an oath to do no harm. I, I'm in this for helping people primarily. And I'm blessed I can make a nice living because I'm in a specialty that does well. But I'm not, I'm not here, you know, just to cash out. And, and if you are, medicine's the wrong, the wrong place to be anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but you learn early on, you can't help everybody. But you can help those people who want to help themselves. And you start to really see the difference between somebody who really needs help, wants help, and someone that's just not going to do anything to help themselves. And it doesn't matter what you tell them, what you prescribe them. Um, and what you need to focus 80% of your effort is into that, you know, into those patients that you can help and not into the 20% that are never going to help themselves. Don't put 80% of your effort into the 20% that can't do anything for themselves or won't. And that's, and I'm not, I don't want to sound harsh or callous because I'm the doctor and I can just, you know, either take my advice or leave it. But I don't give people advice and spend, my schedule is a wreck. I never stay on time. 
And it's because I spend time with each patient for what they need. And when I start to realize that someone isn't going to help themselves, I don't say, well, look, this isn't working. You can't come back. I'm not going to see anymore. I'll keep giving them the same set of recommendations. We'll have that talk again and again. Um, but I'm going to bend over backwards for that patient that I really think needs needs the extra help and will take it and will run with it. Um, you know, and you see it on the podcast, you see it in the Facebook, when somebody puts a post up, ate, ate a piece of cake, blood sugar is 400, ugh, diabetes sucks, help, versus, um, you know, ate a piece of cake, here's what I bolused, here's my curve, you know, and, and gives you all this information as like, you could tell, they really want to understand where they could have been better. Yeah. Way more easier, way more helpful for that person. And also for anyone else who comes after and sees that post wow, I, I have a similar situation. I can understand all the variables in this equation mm -hmm. versus I just want to complain about it, but not do anything about it. Well, Chad, you don't need me to, but I'll stand with your statement because yeah. very recently someone asked me, what are some of the leaps that I've made doing this thing that I do? Like where are some of my, my learnings and you know, how did I kind of vault forward? And I said, I said, one of them was the day that I recognized that I can't help everybody. Yep. You know, um, that, that was a big deal for me because you, you get chained to, I don't even know how to put it. Like there it, it, it's, um, I think I've learned to talk about it like this, like in a class of 20 people, you might have four brilliant kids, you know, the kids in the middle might be pretty average. There might be three or four at the end who are really struggling. And mm -hmm. we seem to teach to the three struggling kids and that feels kind, but we don't talk about how that eliminates real success for the other 17 who could take more and jump forward with it. And I think it's the same thing as what you just said. And I just, I recognize that at some point, like I can, I can put this information out there. Hopefully people can take it up on their own and use it. If they can't, I'm willing to try everything. I mean, I've built a a fairly fantastic Facebook group for you to go talk to each other. And um, mm -hmm. it is unlike most Facebook groups and that there's really very little bickering. People aren't mean to each other, you know, like it's, 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 um, it's not censored. You, you know what I mean? Like people's posts don't get deleted. Cause you know, you say something I don't like, I don't give a crap if, you know, I don't agree with you. If it's your truth, it's good with me. Um, but that I can't stand back with those three people and die with them and not help the other 17. And th and that's what I figured out I was doing at one point is I was going down with the ship instead of yeah. taking the life raft that was offered. And you know, there were other people who could have gotten the boat and they chose not to. And there are times and I know this doesn't sound great, but there are times that some of those people can't get into the boat and I can't physically get them in either. And that's when you have to say this is sad, but I don't think I can help that person. Like the thing I have to offer is not valuable to them at all. Um, right. I've done my best to boil down and simplify everything I'm saying. I think it is accessible to most people, um, you know, intellectually accessible is what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and if it's not, this is the best I can do. Like I've offered you the best options that, that are running out of my head. And keeping in mind that I am not a, a structured person. Like if you've, if you've ever listened to those pro tips, like just keep in mind, I get Jenny when I can get Jenny, she pops right. on in front of me. And I said to her, Hey, can we talk about insulin today? 
hey, can we talk about MDI today? Let's talk about CGMs today. I want to make it a pro tip. Let's drill down on it. She's not prepared when I start talking, and I'm not either. And you might think, well, you should be, except uh, I'm a guy. Like, I'm one, literally one person. I was looking at the charts yesterday for Apple Podcasts in medicine, and Mm -hmm. I consistently chart at the top of medicine in the top 20 to 30 with podcasts that are actual businesses that have, like, you know, business partners and marketing departments and producers and audio technicians and, you know, money coming in, like right. I'm, I'm hanging with them. It's, <laughs> it's me, man. Like, like it's it, the editing, the setting up of the, the interviews, how the interviews go. Like it's, it's, it's all me. And I don't have like, I mean, listen, if you're listening and you'd like to infuse a million dollars into the podcast, <laughs> I'll hire people right away. Trust me. And I think I could grow it and probably get your money back. But, um, I, otherwise I don't have that, you know, so I'm doing, that's why we, that's why we like it. It it is gen, it's still genuinely, it's a dad talking about, you know, his experience. And I think that comes, that comes across your intention is still pretty, pretty honest. And I don't think any of us begrudge you in this community, any, um, you know, sponsorship and any financial gains that may come as you grow this out, but it's still, it's still, it's not coming from that place. It's coming from, I've learned some stuff. I think it'll help you. Hey, if you want to dial in, it can help you too. If you don't, you want to tune out, that's okay. There's, you know, tens of thousands of other people that are really digging this right now. I I appreciate that. I, I I don't feel badly about the, about having advertisers. I mean, genuinely, because I have, I have bills and children and um, also, (laughs) also my wife, I don't think, like try to imagine if my my wife was married to a guy sitting in a room talking to a microphone and it didn't generate <laughs> any money. Don't you think she'd be like, "Oh, uh oh." Uh and uh, but but the other side of it is is that I just couldn't do it. Like I I know it's not for you guys to worry about, but I I mean, I I sat up here yesterday for the better part of 13 hours working on this podcast. You, you yeah. know, like I didn't like there are leaves on my yard that need to be picked up and other such things that I ignored to make sure that next week those episodes come out for you and that they're entertaining and provide quality for you uh, in, in different aspects of your life. It's, it's a full-time job. It really is. If I had help, it would still be a full-time job. But um, anyway, the point is, is you don't leave people behind on purpose. It's, no. It becomes circumstantial at some point. It's just there's nothing left for you to do. And uh, hopefully, and by the way, it's not a hopeless situation because I have, you know, for the better, for lack of a better term, left people behind who six months later come back and say, I wasn't in the right frame of mind back then, but I am now and I'm getting it. And so maybe just exposing them to it is a, is a kindness, you know, in itself. So that's all you can do Uh, is cross my fingers and you help the ones you can help. And it's not, there's good doctors, there's bad doctors, there's better doctors. Um, most of us get into this path with the the willingness, the want, the, the burn to help people on, on whatever level we can. Yeah. Um, and it's hard. The system is broken. It's frustrating. It's dealing with insurance companies. There's so many distractions in my day that have very little to do with helping patients that keep trying to edge in and you keep pushing out. But if I can get that spark, that patient clicks in the room, our eyes meet, I said something that made sense, and then they actually come back a few months later and they did it and they're feeling better or they've lost weight, whatever it was, you know, that's it. That's that's what keeps you going. 
because you realize that you're reaching somebody. So, yep. um, you know, you're reaching lots of lots of somebodies, but you get that feedback uh, and it just wants you to help another one, help another one. It, it you know, somebody's listening out there, um, even if it's um, sifting through, you know, lots of people who aren't ready to help themselves to find the one that is. Yeah. I listen, I wish there are times I wish I had a call yesterday for an hour with a, a new, an old sponsor that's coming back. Right. And um, I'll be able to explain it better later. But I said to them in the meeting, like, you have to understand the podcast exists because I want to help people. Um, I'm taking your ad because I need your money to help those people. Mm -hmm. And I think that you have a a genuinely valuable quality product here. Like I said, there are other people I could have taken this ad from, and there are plenty of people who have asked. But yours is, I'm specifically comfortable taking your money. I said, but just keep in mind, like I will do my best to let people know about your product. And I hope they click to learn more. And if they want it, that's terrific. But don't make any mistake. I just need your money so I can talk to these people and pay my bills. Like I, right. you, you, you never had a more honest business meeting than you'll have with me. And, and so, um, and, and I said, you know, if you were just some like low carb, like BS, like, thing of the month or something. And you, I get those emails all day long. I don't even answer them. I just delete them. Like I'm, I'm not going to get involved in your, you know, your fly by night thing where you're trying to get rich real quick off of people. Like I don't, right. I, you, you should see the people that I, that I gate from getting to you. It's uh trust me, it's a, it's a thing, but um, that's it to me. Like I'm trying to help people. And if I can, I can, I need money to do it. I mean, again, my, my daughter said to me the other day, she's like, don't you think one rich person listens? I was like, what do you think? (laughs) You think someone's just going to send a couple mil over here so I don't have to take ads anymore. And she goes, uh, maybe. And I was like, oh, all right, well, I guess that would be okay. (laughs) It just takes one. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so she and I were laughing about it, but, um, I was like, I don't think that's how it's going to work, sweetie. I was like, and I don't mind the ads. I'm a American, I'm I'm down with you know consumerism and and how this place works. Like I'm I'm okay yeah. with with how this goes. I, I don't have any bad feelings about it at all. So here's my next question. Arden will talk about my ankles hurt when she you know my knees hurt, my wrists hurt. Um, you know we've we we've optimized Arden's health in every way that we can think of. Her her right. thy- thyroid is amazingly. Um, maintained. Her blood sugars are very well maintained. Uh, she takes, you know, we we even did a poop sample. God, she is going to one day listen to this and just be like, yeah. you bastard. <laughs> um, my, both of my kids did it um, to measure their gut biome. They, uh, they're taking, uh, you know, some pretty like strong probiotic stuff to like balance their gut biome. Like I've done everything I can do. Okay. Right. And, um, and she'll still come up and be like, my wrist hurts. And she wants me to put my thumb in the top of her wrist, like what feels like the joint between your hand and your, your arm and my finger on the other side, squeeze so that it, and hard so that it almost creates a separation in the joint and then wiggle her hand back and forth. And when I do that to me, my hand goes back and forth. When you do it to her, it clicks and pops and snaps in her wrist. Okay. But it hurts or it doesn't hurt. No, she, she does not like it. Um, okay. and she's been, by the way, to a, a rheumatory specialist and she doesn't have sure. arthritis. Um, and she's had x-rays of her wrist at some point. I mean, I, uh, Chad, it's a long life. Um, I don't, <laughs> gotcha. I don't think of her wrist. No, like, I don't think she's ever had x-rays. Like, could it yeah. just be like a, like a physical? 
it, it can be. Has she ever hurt her wrist? Did she do any gymnastics or anything really wrist heavy in her past um, sports lives? No, but I can tell you, as weird as it sounds, my wife has a similar thing in her wrist. It's not nearly as bad, though. Okay. I mean, there, there's some, there are some uh, less common things, congenital differences in how we're built, and things will definitely get passed on from parent to child. Um, the wrist is complicated. I... I treat wrist basic stuff. I have two hand specialists in my group. Anything weird that goes right to either of those two because they are so honed in on all the little joints. And there's there's a joint between your two forearm bones right at the wrist. Mm-hmm. There's eight little bones in there. We call the carpals. And then you get into the base of the hand. And every place two bones meet is a joint and an opportunity for something weird and unique to happen. Um, so... I generally tell patients to ignore clicking. I, I say we're mechanical animals. We, we move like our car engine, so we should make noise. But when it's painful and it's reproducible, so you can you can make that happen the same way every time. And if it's not happening on the other side, it's probably worth seeing at least, you know, somebody that's a hand and wrist specialist in your area, minimum get some x-rays, let them do some of the other um, special little exams that we do around the hand and wrist and and dig in there. And if, you know, if you're like us, the deductibles met, you know, within two months into the new year. So <laughs> getting an MRI is, yeah. <laughs> if, if, if there's any pluses to this club we're in, um, getting an MRI is not, um, can be a great way to look at some of those tiny little joints. And there, there are some, there's a little thing called the TFCC. That's a, like a little meniscus in part of your wrist. Um, the DRUJ is the distal radial ulnar joint. It's where those two forearm bones meet. There's some weird and unique things, and and it's probably worth looking at if for no other reason than just to cross off a mechanical problem. She told me the other um, day they were playing volleyball in school, and she uh-huh. bumped the ball with that like that top of her forearm, and she said a pain shot from her wrist right up her arm into her sh- into her neck. So it's um, yes, I believe the pain went that far that way, but we, we don't have like a nerve that goes up uphill. Yeah. yeah. Um, you could get a pinch nerve in your neck coming all the way down to that part of the wrist for sure. Hmm. But it sounds like whatever's going on here is right in that joint. Um, So I don't think it's necessarily dangerous to keep playing. I think she can put weight on her hand and do push-ups, planks, and other things. Um, Sometimes that's helpful if she's not doing some forearm and wrist stretches or not doing any yoga. We could maybe use that as a way to pull her in to do... um, some plank positions down dog, some of those things that force the wrist into a couple of, of uh, different stretches than we get from regular activity. But it, it would probably be, I would recommend seeing, you know, a hand doc in your area. Um, and and if, we, if we want to talk offline or email me, you know, location-wise, I can see who I might know or what places I might like in a given region of the country where there's good hand. I can put her a FedEx box and send her to Baltimore. So it doesn't matter. Um, we, we, we got the, we got the, uh, I've got two great partners in my group that are awesome. And we also have the Curtis national hand center in Baltimore. So we, we've got great hand hand care in Baltimore. My muscles, like I'm not flexible. Arden's not like she's, you know, Arden likes incredibly hard rubs, like incredibly hard massage, like to the mm-hmm. point where if you did it to somebody else, they'd be like, my God, that's insane. You, you know, like she's, she and I are both the kind of people who will lay on the floor and be like, can someone just walk on my back for a while? <laughs> you know, please. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's hard. That, that kind of stuff is difficult to pick through. So I appreciate your input on it. I really do. Anytime, anytime. Uh, is there anything we didn't talk about, Chad? I can't believe there is, but. 
Um, I, only because I did, and, and I didn't work her in earlier, but I got to give a little shout out to um, to my daughter, um, who is, she's 15, so we have two children. Um, our type one is 12. His sister is just absolutely amazing and is a super advocate for all things type one and all things related to her brother. And they are incessantly teasing one another out of good natured ribbing that we all do in this house, but luckily not any fist fighting. Um, so I got I got to throw a little a little shout out to her because I didn't get a chance to work her in. Excellent. Well, I think everybody appreciates getting support. So that's really cool of her to do. My kids are very similar with each other. So my wife's like, what are they doing? I'm like, they're just being brother and sister. Leave them alone. <laughs> yeah. I, I told her early on, you know, because because we saw that our son was on a trajectory to be larger than average. I said, um, be nice to him now. Cause I have a feeling he's going to be the biggest person in this house by the time he's done growing. And so now he's the tallest. I still have um, at least 50 plus pounds on him, but I think, you know, once I get him in the weight room, when he's a little older, he'll, he'll easily surpass that. Me too. My son sent me a video of him uh, uh, doing a deadlift. that was like five, like over five twenty five, And I sent it to my friend and he goes, well, I guess you've told him the last thing you're ever going to tell him. And I was like, yeah, yeah. so. Uh, I think I think my kid could just grab me by the shoulders and toss me aside if he wanted to. So, uh, well, well, that that's a that's a legitimate. We talk about how much someone should lift. If we're talking about a Division One college level athlete, a multiplier of body weight is how we talk about those things. So he's deadlifting more than twice his body weight. Um, so you know, that's that's a a, a very good um, you know threshold that we want to be at or above when you when you talk about what it takes to be at a certain level of play. Yeah, he actually said to me that he's a really thoughtful person. He, he called me the other day, FaceTime. By the way, kids don't call. They always FaceTime. Doesn't matter if they're driving or walking right. or you know. <laughs> I'm like, you know that other button if you just touch the picture of the anyway. Uh so yeah. he's like um I don't need to lift more weight than I'm lifting. And I'm like, "What?" He goes, "It's it's stupid." He goes, "What what?" He's like, "Where's this going to end?" And I was like, right. He goes, I'm going to work more on flexibility too. I mean, he's like, I'm going to keep lifting where I'm lifting, but I want to work more on flexibility. I'm going to look at that ISO stuff that my friend's doing. And and I was like, okay. He goes, I mean, he's like, he's like, what's the point if I deadlift 600 pounds? He's like, you know what I mean? Right. He's like, at some point, well, that's not going to help. It gets, it gets into goal setting. So I also talk to patients. What do you like? Why are you doing this? When we talk about what you're doing for exercise, his goal is to be a better baseball player, to be better at his position, at hitting, at running. So he's not trying to deadlift, you know, in, in powerlifting competition. So he's kind of right. And he should work on his flexibility because that's that's the third piece of the puzzle. It's movement, it's strength, and flexibility is that third leg mm -hmm. that needs to be there. But um, so so not not only you know, reframing that discussion and say, all right, so what what are the what are the goals we're gonna set? And then lifting accordingly with proper schemes and maybe resetting some of his rep schemes to be um, you know maintained but also not reaching for higher and higher yeah. and risking injury or just deadlifting you know 600 to deadlift 600 yeah that's it i he came to it on his own i was like i think you're right and he's like all right i gotta go i'm like okay <laughs> he's, it almost sounds like he's becoming a mature young man yeah he's just he's just running it past me real quick and i was happy as yeah. he had a good idea he was looking for a little backup and and that was it i i i will uh i'm gonna let you great idea me. yeah give me one second hold on i, I really sure. appreciate you doing this thank you you're welcome. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. 
Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. I'd also like to thank Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash, the Omnipod Promise, and the Omnipod 5. Learn more at Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. And don't forget to take that survey at t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast.